And now, dear friends, our text this morning, as we hear from the living God in his word, is Hebrews 11, verse 7, and then along with it, as the background we need to understand that verse, Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, to chapter 7, verse 24. And I encourage you, as always, to have your Bible open. You can open it to Hebrews, but then be ready to go back into Genesis as we continue this week in our study of faith. This morning we turn to the last account of faith in Hebrews 11 that's taken from pre-patriarchal history, and that is the account of Noah. And my sermon this morning will be in two parts, following simply the structure of the pastor's thought in verse 7 of Hebrews 11. So look there first, if you will. There are two sentences in verse 7. The first begins with the words, by faith. The second begins with the words, by this. <laughs> and here's how we'll do it. We'll consider first faith's obedience in verse 7a, the sentence that begins with the words, by faith. And then secondly, in the sentence that begin with the words, by this, we'll consider faith's outcome. So faith's obedience and faith's outcome and that we might consider all of it more precisely, the points uh, that the pastor is making here, we'll be considering parts of Genesis 6 and 7 as well. So we begin then with verse 7a, faith's obedience. The central point the pastor makes concerning Noah in verse 7a of Hebrews chapter 11 is that by faith, Noah obeyed God. Only perhaps your first reaction to hearing me say that is, well, wait a minute, the pastor does not say Noah obeyed the Lord in that verse. And it is true that the word obey isn't there. So why then would I make the first point of my sermon this morning about faith's obedience? And the answer is because of the text that the pastor has in view here, namely Genesis 6, verse 9 to chapter 7, verse 24. As you look at verse 7a of Hebrews chapter 11, you can see that the core thing that the pastor says in verse 7a is, by faith Noah constructed an ark. There are some other important phrases in that verse as well, and we'll come back to those. But to start with, I'm focused just right here. What is the point that the pastor's making when he says that by faith, Noah constructed an ark? I think the point the pastor's making is that by faith, Noah obeyed God. That in constructing the ark, Noah becomes a key biblical example of what the Apostle Paul in Romans would twice call the obedience of faith, or simply faith's obedience. So let's go back to Genesis and see what we can see. The context of Genesis chapter 6 that Masha read earlier is, of course, very dark. Masha began reading in Genesis 6 verse 9, 
but the full assessment of Noah's days is found in uh, a few verses back from that in chapter 6, verse 5. Look there if you can. Genesis 6, verse 5, the text says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The debasement in Noah's day was universal. As verses 11 and 12 from our reading further describe, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, verse 11 says, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. It was darkness everywhere, with one exception. We read in verses 7 and 8, So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The single exception was Noah. And so then begins with the reading we heard this morning, the third Toledot, that is the third, these are the generations of section of Genesis in chapter 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. What a summary of a man's life is that. Like Enoch before him, Noah, it says, walked with God. Noah pleased God, as the Greek translation of that verse says. And no wonder, because Noah, the text says, was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah is the first person in the scriptures to be designated righteous. We'll come back to that later on, but let me make this one point first up front. Though it says here Noah was blameless, that does not mean Noah was sinless. Later on your own, you can read over through the end of Genesis chapter 9 and you'll be assured of that fact. Nevertheless, Noah's moral conduct was such that he could be called blameless in his generation. In a morally pitch black world, Noah's life was a light that shone brightly. And so we read on. Having described Noah generally within his inhospitable context here in verses 9 to 12, the narrative turns then to God's speech in verse 13. And let's read part of it, beginning in verse 13. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. 
The length of the arc, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, verse 17, I will bring a flood, a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but, verse 18, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And here's what I want us to notice about what's happening in this moment in Genesis, because this is how I think we're going to work towards understanding the nature of Noah's faith as the pastor writing Hebrews presents it. I want us to see how when God speaks here to Noah, he does two things and they're woven together. Number one, God gives commands. The pastor writing Hebrews doesn't make this explicit, I think because he doesn't have to for his original hearers to get it. But it does mean that you and I are perhaps liable to miss it or at least move too quickly past the point, so don't miss it. The building of the ark was a command from the Lord to Noah. Right? I mean, you heard me emphasize that in the way I read the text. Make yourself an ark, says the Lord. This is how you are to make it. Make a roof for the ark, and so on. God gives commands to Noah, and the key command over and over is, make it. Construct an ark. But then, number two, God makes promises. And it is within the context of those promises that the commands God gives Noah make sense, you see. And there are negative and there are positive promises. Notice that also. Verse 13 begins with the negative. I have determined to make an end of all flesh, the Lord says. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Likewise, verse 17 is the negative promise. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But then in verse 18 is the positive. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark. The point is that the obedience of faith always takes place within the context of God's promises, brothers and sisters. And I think we're liable here perhaps to miss as well the fact that when the pastor says in Hebrews 11, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, he is not just referencing there the negative promises of judgment, right? Certainly that is part of it, and Noah believes it. But I would argue the focus of Noah's faith is, on the, is, is not on the fact of the flood coming. I would argue that the focus of Noah's faith is on the fact that God promises Noah that he and his family will be saved. And given the way verse 18 is worded, I would even suggest the point goes perhaps beyond the mere fact that Noah and his family would survive the flood. 
but that Noah himself would then be the bearer of God's promise for a new age. I will establish my covenant with you, the Lord said to him. You'd have to read ahead to Genesis 9 to get to the details of the covenant that's mentioned here. But the point is that this promise, this word from God, this is what was to sustain Noah for a hundred years of labor to build the ark and gather the animals and gather the food and go inside and watch as the door was slammed shut. You see, the promise of God's word is the sustenance of his people, brothers and sisters. God makes promises. We've spent a lot of Hebrews talking about those promises, and there's more of that yet to come. But the point is this. What then is to happen when we receive those promises God makes, as Noah did? The answer is, we obey God's commands. By faith. If you're still there in Genesis chapter 6, let's quickly carry on now from verse 18. Following the promise you have in verse 18, verses 19 to 21 of Genesis 6 are more commands, right? This is still God speaking, verse 19. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark. Verse 21, also take with you every sort of food. It shall serve as food for you and for them. The Lord, even in these commands, provides for Noah's needs. And then listen to this descriptive statement in verse 22, the end of chapter 6. Here's the point I think the pastor writing Hebrews is making, because here's the point I think the Genesis narrative is making. Verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Now, part of the reason I wanted Masha to read all the way to the end of chapter 7 of Genesis was not just so that you could hear the details of the flood account, but so that you could hear that what was said there in verse 22 of chapter 6 isn't an aside. Variations of that description of Noah occur four times in this narrative. Did you pick up on that when, when it was read? The first one is there in chapter 6, verse 22, but then look down further. It's in chapter 7, verse 5, where in response to God's instructions for the final seven days, the text says, and Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. It's in verse 7, it's in chapter 7, verse 9 where the text records that the animals entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And it's in chapter 7, verse 16, where right before the door of the ark was shut by the Lord, the text says, those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. Get the point? You can't read the narrative and miss the point, I don't think that in the words of one preacher, this refrain of obedience represented Noah's long life. He did all that God commanded him. Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Here was a man who walked with God, brothers and sisters. 
And let's take a moment to acknowledge what incredible obedience is conveyed in the simple words, Noah constructed an ark. I mean, it's not like he could go to the lumber yard. Listen to what John Calvin says about this. First, Calvin writes, the prodigious size of the ark might have overwhelmed all Noah's senses so as to prevent him from even raising a finger to begin the work. Let the reader reflect on the multitude of trees to be felled, on the great labor of conveying them, and the difficulty of joining them together. The matter, by which Calvin means the matter of the promised flood, the matter was also long deferred, for the holy man was required to be engaged more than a hundred years in most troublesome labor. Nor, Calvin says, can we suppose Noah to have been so stupid as to not reflect upon obstacles of this kind. Of course he did. And though the text doesn't say anything about it, we could also rightly imagine that Noah knew he would receive plenty of abuse from those who would have thought him a fool. But brothers and sisters, this is faith. This is what it means to be righteous. You see, by faith, to hear the word of God and to obey it, as Noah did. And you don't have to take my word for it. Genesis chapter 7 verse 1 says it explicitly. Right after we read that key description that will be echoed multiple times in chapter 6 verse 22 where it says Noah did all that God commanded him, right after that comes chapter 7 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for... I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You see, what had been said already in summary form in the beginning of this Toledot section of Genesis, in Genesis 6 verse 9, what was said there in summary is now demonstrated by way of concrete example in Noah's life. And the Lord declares it, you are righteous before me. Or in other words, and watch this, Noah was saved by faith, brothers and sisters. Now, I know it was four weeks ago when we talked about it, but it's only six verses back in Hebrews. Faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And maybe you remembered how we talked that week about how the things hoped for. The, this seems to refer to the future promises of God, ultimately focused on salvation, and how the things not seen seem to be referring primarily to God's invisible power to bring about all that he promises. It seems to me that that's exactly what's going on in the example of Noah. 
Noah has faith. He lived as if God's promises regarding the future, both positive and negative, were sure. And he lived as if God's power to bring those promises about was also sure. We haven't talked yet about the phrase in reverent fear that you see there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7a, but it fits in right here. Do you see that? The pastor says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark. Now the nuance of the verb behind that translation is somewhat challenging, but I think that rather than implying that Noah acted out of fear simply concerning the impending flood, the word instead seems more to emphasize Noah's stance of reverence toward the God who promised this judgment. The ESV helps us here by translating it reverent fear because Noah's fear here is the proper fear of the Lord. In fact, the noun that is formed from the same stem here as this verb, the noun form of the same word, is used earlier in Hebrews in chapter 5, verse 7, where it speaks of Jesus's godliness, his life of obedience, where in the ESV it is translated simply as reverence, that Jesus had reverence. One commentator explains it this way. It is quite appropriate, he writes, to describe Noah's response to God's warning as his being moved by godly fear. Such godly fear is the full recognition by the way one lives of God's awesome sovereign power and faithfulness. Noah came to such a recognition of God by faith, that is, by believing both in God's promise of a flood and in his fearsome power to bring it about. And then here's the key. This commentator continues by saying, quote, Noah's godly fear became fully real in his obedience. From Noah, the hearers learn that true faith leads to an inner recognition of and complete surrender to God that expresses itself in humble obedience. It's faith's obedience that is in view here, brothers and sisters. The point is that such obedience as Noah displayed is simply the nature of faith itself. Just think about it for a minute. I mean, what if Noah hadn't built the ark? What would one then say about Noah's supposed faith? You see? Just imagine, if you can, Noah insisting that he believed what God had said. Imagine him saying that if he were not busy working on the ark that God commanded him to build. What would you say about a faith like that? 
Well, would we not conclude the same as James does in James chapter 2, verse 14 and following? You know this text, many of you. What good is it, James writes, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? No. The answer is no. Why not? Verse 17 of James chapter 2 tells us it's because faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Later in verse 20, James writes, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? It is. It's useless. And it's dead. All of which means it cannot save you. Right? And if what you are calling faith actually can't save you, then the bottom line, as I read James, is that it isn't really faith at all. If Noah didn't even start working on the ark, if he didn't start chopping down trees and making diagrams and organizing for a century length of labor, well, then the simple fact is that Noah didn't have faith. But he did. And how do we know that? Well, because of what Genesis says over and over and over again, four times Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. And it would take Noah a long time to do it. But such is the nature of faith. It perseveres. To use the famous phrase of Eugene Peterson, it is a long obedience in the same direction. Noah would do it all for the saving of his household because he trusted God's promises for the future as he lived in reverent fear of God's power in the present. So then let me ask this, Christian. Where is such faith present in our lives? Is it present in your life? Now, I don't mean that we should start constructing an ark this week. That was what Noah was told to do, to be saved from the specific historical judgment of the flood. But it shouldn't take much for you and your small groups this week, perhaps, to think through what the parallels are in our lives. Because God promises that there won't be another flood, that's true, but there will be a judgment. And the question is whether or not when that day comes, we'll be found to have been faithful. For as were the days of Noah, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 37, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. This is the first Sunday in Advent. 
the season when we are supposed to be preparing for the coming of the Lord. Therefore, stay awake, Jesus says, for you do not know on what day our Lord is coming. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Because what then will be the outcome? We've spent almost all of our time this morning talking about the first part of verse 7, focusing on faith's obedience. But now let's finish up with a much shorter look at verse 7b and consider faith's outcome. And there are two parts to it. The pastor writes in verse 7b, by this, and I think the pastor means here, by this faith, by this faith that built an ark in obedience to the Lord's command in light of the Lord's promises. In other words, I think the pastor means by doing all of this that we just talked about in verse 7a. By this, by faith's obedience, two things happened. First, Noah condemned the world. And second, Noah became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. He condemned the world, the pastor says, and he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And we cannot take very long doing this, I realize. So it may feel a bit abbreviated and dense, but let's say at least something about each of those two things. First, in what way did Noah's faith obedience here condemn the world? Well, I think it was in that Noah's continual preparation of the ark was a constant witness that judgment was coming. Now, some people think the pastor here is likely alluding to the fact that according to Jewish tradition and as 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 5 indeed explicitly affirms, the pastor may be referring to the fact that Noah is a herald of righteousness. That's the language of 2 Peter 2. In other words, he was a preacher. There can be little doubt that Noah by his own words did condemn the world, so to speak, as he explained the reason for his construction of the ark. I'm sure that's true, but I'm not sure that's exactly what the pastor means here. I think rather, given the language, the pastor means that it was actually Noah's faith action, faith act of constructing the ark that condemned the world. As one commentator puts it, the life of a person of firm faith and faithfulness to God constitutes a sharp rebuke to a godless generation. As ludicrous as it would no doubt have seemed to the watching world, the construction of the ark was a prophetic act. The judgment of God was on the horizon. In fact, Peter references how this was a time of, of possible repentance for those who would witness what Noah was doing and likely preaching about. 
Indeed, everything did come to pass exactly as God and Moses, by obeying God, had forewarned. And if that's right, then here's another question in this part of verse 7, I think, for us. What is it in our lives, our lives of faith, that condemns the world, brothers and sisters? Is there anything? Now, I'm not talking about being brash and, and uh, rude or arrogant or any such thing. What I mean is, can the watching world see anything really different about us or not? Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, seems particularly relevant on this point. Do not love the world or the things in the world, John writes. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And, and then listen to how John ends this. And the world is passing away. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Of course we do. For what is the second part of the outcome of Noah's faith here? By this, the pastor writes, Noah became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Go into the ark, the Lord said in Genesis 7 verse 1. For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Noah did indeed become an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith. Noah would be the recipient of a right relationship with God. You see? I like how one commentator expresses the point. The qualification of righteousness by the words according to faith indicates the way or the condition by which righteousness is actualized. It describes a righteousness bestowed by God according to the norm of faith. The biblical description of Noah as a righteous person is subsumed under faith. Noah responded to God with a full measure of faith. And this accounts for the attestation of Scripture that Noah was righteous. What then will be the outcome? Well, Noah would be delivered Delivered from God's judgment, Noah would be saved by faith. On this first Sunday of Advent, let us dwell on the fact 
that the same will be true for us, brothers and sisters. As the Lord said to Noah, so also will the king say to us on the day of judgment. Go into the ark, the Lord said, for I have seen that you are righteous before me. Come, the king will say to those on his right, those called the righteous by our Lord in Matthew chapter 25, verse 37, come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It will only be by faith that we will finally enter. Faith's obedience in our lives will have its outcome. And one day, ours will be the kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.